time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty. Welcome back to the Cold War, episode 242, Ray, finishing up the story of the prosecution of the Rosenbergs. Yes, not America's best day. But hey, we all have bad days. So it took eight whole months (laughs) before the trial of the Rosenbergs actually began. March 6, 1951, New York City. Uh, This is where it's all going down. They weren't alone on the stand, there was their friend and fellow communist Morton Sobel, mm-hmm. who had been arrested in Mexico, and they were the three of them were represented by father and son attorneys Manny and Alexander Block, right, who were well known advocates for left wing causes oh. at the time. Okay, let's just say at the outset, yeah, probably not the sharpest lawyers they could have had. But the price was right, and like like a like a sex worker, uh, God love him. You take what you can get. Uh, yes, like it, they weren't really being represented by the creme de la creme Top of tier. the American legal yeah. system. Ten thousand dollars an hour lawyers. These were not yeah. those guys. No. <laughs> um, again. You know, you kind of think that this is going to be a very high-profile case and a great opportunity for somebody, you know, a a prestigious law firm to Mm -hmm. make the case that they should be uh, treated uh, presumption of innocence, et cetera, et cetera, make the government work for it. It didn't really work out that way. They they had uh, second-rate lawyers who uh, probably – yeah, drop the ball here in a, in a big way. So, side issue: I can imagine the voicemail you call up. Hi, this is Manny, and I'm Alexander, and you've reached the block, lawyer associates. Leave a number, and we'll get back to you. Uh, I, I don't know. I just picture it going downhill from there. But anyway, so <laughs> not not the their heart was in the right place. Their skill set, not so much. Yeah, so the key witnesses we said last time was Ethel's own brother, David Greenglass, mm-hmm. a Manhattan Project atomic scientist. Right. He confessed to passing along sketches. Oh, of that's all I did. How the how the bomb worked. Yeah. And um it's so top secret that you can find a copy of it on Wikipedia <laughs> today. Um it's basically a, a circle right. that says put the blow the stuff that blows up in, in the middle. Yeah. And then uh, pack it full of other stuff, and that's it. And then run very fast in any direction, really. Just don't go in circles. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Now, the the trial focused on the handing over of this atomic information, but it was all kept very top secret because they didn't want this to get out. Right, right. Uh, Later on in 1952, four British and French scientists claimed that Greenglass could not possibly have remembered the details about which he testified mm. and that the information Greenglass testified to wasn't secret and had been in publications and periodicals. 
basic concepts of how you build a nuclear weapon. Just out the basic there. Basic theory of just it. Just out there. Yeah. Now you can't get the material, thank Christ, our Savior. But as far as I know, but but the how to is out there. So, and that's again another key point here mm-hmm. is as we said in the last episode, the government didn't really care right about what they shared or who they shared it with. Or the quality, yeah. It was the f- yes. fact that they sh- they tried to share something that they probably shouldn't have shared with a foreign nation. Yeah. That was the whole point of this is you can't share shit with <laughs> anyone that might be... Usable? Able, use, yeah, usable. Yeah. Uh, that has anything to do with national defense. Right. doesn't matter the quality of the information that you share. It's about the fact that you shared something that had a national defense implication with any foreign nation, whether we're at war with them or not. I just can't help but imagine the judge, the prosecutor, and Greenglass kind of winking at each other during the trial. I mean, this this is beyond a joke. Legally speaking, again, from my days of watching L.A. Law, but this shit is real and it's going through and the government needs it and they've got the right judge. So instead of going, this is a travesty, he says, on with the case. And it goes on. Now, the whole thing about the sketch, it might have been their own lawyer, Manny Block, that aided the prosecution's case. Right. It was Manny Block that asked the court to impound David's sketch of the atomic bomb. Uh his intention, it would seem, was to show that the Rosenbergs team was patriotic right. and didn't want that information to be made public. Mm. But it kind of strengthened the case for the prosecution saying, see, mm, yeah. this sketch is important. What he should have said is like, listen, yeah. you know, you can find this sketch on the back of a cornflake packet. <laughs> like everyone, it's a circle right. with some little circles right. inside of it. Like yeah. this is not... Yeah important stuff uh, you're trying to send uh, parents of two young children to the electric chair yeah for something that everybody already knows about really right really, really? this is who we are now <laughs> yeah. but he actually yeah made it seem more important it, than it was exactly. see i couldn't help it if they had hired us uh stan and barry busy Barbados. If they would have hired us, I would have taken the piece of paper, shown it to the jury and go, can any of you use this to build an atomic bomb? No? No? Bueller? What are we doing here? You know? That should have been the end of the case. But you're right. It backfires and it mm, not good for the Rosenbergs. Or had some, you know, other nuclear scientists to get up on the witness stand and go, yeah, this is this, really... This is shit. This is shit. This is trivial information. Yeah, exactly. uh, everyone knew this already. They're not really doing anything here. Right. Um, now, the Rosenbergs used the Fifth Amendment and declined to answer questions like about their Communist Party membership or right. the knowledge of Soviet <laughs> agents. Right. And apparently uh, this left doubts in the jurors' minds right. about their innocence. Yes. So they, you know looked guilty by refusing to divulge information and other people. Right. Uh, you, know, like, you know, you got to imagine, I, I can imagine being in the courtroom, being a juror, mm-hmm. having a couple up on the witness stand who, A, they're, they're 
known to be communists, and right. everyone knows communists are evil. Right. They're the parents of young children. They know the death penalty is on the line. They could be leaving their children as orphans, mm-hmm. and they refuse to give up any information oh, that might be helpful to the government. I see what you're, you're like, saying. Really? Right. You should, I anything. can easily see how yes. jurors in 1951 right. would see these as yeah. um, bad people. Don't you love your country, are, your children? What are you yeah, doing? What are you doing? Children. Say something. Yeah. But what are they going to yeah. say? What are they going to say? So I imagine this was a nine-month grueling, the nation tearing its heart out trial, and right outside those doors, you've got news about Korea, you got Eastern Europe, you got spies, you got Alger Hitch, you got all this shit right outside those doors. This must have been mm. a fucking year long, brutal, mm. brutal trial. Close, okay, close, very close, oh, very close. close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's about two weeks. Um, but a good two, a hard two weeks. I think you're fine. Eh, not that hard. <laughs> no, this is pretty easy two weeks. Go- the government prosecution said these people are dirty, dirty communists and and whores. And their defense said, "Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, they uh, are. Yeah, and they won't even defend themselves. They're that dirty." So sixteen, 16 day. day trial, yes. one day, eight hour deliberation yeah. by the jury. Who came back and found them guilty of conspiracy to commit espionage? Not espionage, um, conspiracy to commit espionage. Yes, for fuck's conspiracy sake. to commit espionage. Right, that's like your wife finding you guilty of thinking about yes sleeping with her sister. Right, all not of actually them. sleeping with her. No. or in your case, her sister-in-law. Right, sleeping. You just thought about it. Oh, that's yeah. that's, Only in the that's too bad. That's bad enough. Right, right, yeah. No, so they, you've had this trial. They're found guilty, and not to push things, but now it's up to the is now it's to the sentencing phase of this trial. And if you think it's been crazy so far, it's about to go to Looney Tunes very quickly. Yeah. So the judge Kaufman, we mentioned in the last Damn episode, right. who, according to Roy Cohen, right. working for the prosecution, said that uh, he really wanted this job and he decided they were going to burn even burn. before the trial started. Yes. In handing down the sentence, he said, I consider your crime worse than murder. I believe your conduct in putting into the hands of the Russians the A-bomb years before our best scientists predicted Russia would perfect the bomb has already caused, in my opinion, yes. the communist aggression in Korea yeah. with the resultant casualties exceeding 50,000. And who knows but that millions more of innocent people may pay the price of your treason. Because of you. It is not in my power, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, to forgive you. Only the Lord can find mercy for what you have done. Preach. Yeah. If, if I could, because you mentioned this, I think it was a couple of episodes ago, but the Truman officials somehow got into their head and maybe through Roy Cohn or, or someone, this get, gets to the judge or maybe the judge feels the, the same way. But this this is literally the mentality in the White House. So try to try to ride this bull for nine seconds. The Rosenbergs gave up the secret to the atomic bomb to the Soviet Union. Well, first of all, there were a lot of people that did. And they didn't do that much. Second, the bomb somehow inspired Stalin to be more aggressive in Korea. Kim Il-sung and the other North Korean communist leaders are now who are subordinate to to Stalin because he runs the entire communist world. 
gives them orders to invade South Korea, and it's the leaders, thank God that they're here, the leaders of the West, like Truman, who are here to stop them and to support uh, President Sigmund Rhee. So again, there's this narrative that you gave a few secrets, and somehow that in and of itself, nothing else, in a vacuum, started the Korean War. For fuck's sake, we have left the station of common sense, and we're on our way to La La Land. So uh, that was it for the Rosenbergs, basically, uh, one of the most controversial trials of the 20th century. Yeah. And, you know, the judge basically blamed the Korean War and all future wars <laughs> fought between the US and communism on them for, Fuck. I guess, look, giving the so, I guess in his mind, mm-hmm. They gave the Soviets information about the bomb that made the Soviets confident enough, I guess, to, in their view, you know, support the North Korean quote unquote invasion of South Korea. Of course, we know that none of that is true. Exactly. Um, You know, that it didn't help the Soviets at all. Uh, The Soviets really had very little to do with North Korea. yeah. Anyway, it wasn't it wasn't their idea. It was Kim's idea, right? Uh, but of course, at the time, that's what Americans believed. It's still to this day. Well, we were taught most yeah. Americans believe. Yeah. Yeah. Now, two weeks before the date scheduled for their deaths, which didn't happen until 1953, right? Took which is a whole two other years. story. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, by which time Truman was gone and and Eisenhower was in office. Mm -hmm. Uh, But two weeks before their execution, the Rosenbergs were visited by James V. Bennett, the director of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Wow. And after the meeting, the Rosenbergs issued a statement. They said, yesterday we were offered a deal by the Attorney General of the United States. We were told that if we cooperated with the government, our lives would be spared. By asking us to repudiate the truth of our innocence, the government admits its own doubts concerning our guilt. We will not help to purify the foul record of a fraudulent conviction and a barbaric sentence. We solemnly declare now and forevermore that we will not be coerced, even under pain of death, to bear false witness and to yield up to tyranny our rights as free Americans. Our respect for truth, conscience, and human dignity is not for sale. Justice is not some bauble to be sold to the highest bidder. Mm. If we are executed, it will be the murder of innocent people, and the shame will be upon the government of the United States. Oh, that, again, but the point you were making earlier, they're willing to sacrifice everything, even themselves, even their children growing up with parents. I mean, I get that they're principled, or at least that's how it comes across, but they're being just as, if I may say this, extreme as the government, because the government's left reality behind trying to punish these two. But these two are almost matching them in their extremism going, no, no, we will not do anything to assist you in any way, shape or form, even if it means losing our lives. That's the ball size of Texas. I, I don't. I my balls are like Rhode Island, really tiny and just hanging there. Uh, that that's. Should we be impressed by that, or what, what do you what do you make of that statement? Uh, well, listen. Like as I said um, in the previous episode, mm-hmm. I, I can't 
really even begin to get into the headspace of good point. Okay, me yeah. being executed for something, okay. Yeah. But executing my wife and leaving my two young children as orphans and having right. them, you know. Who knows? Just to go, you know what? So say to the government, hey, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah. I'm not taking any deal. Uh, you want to kill me, and that's on you. You yeah. know, this is going to be on you. It's on your soul, not on mine. That's kind of what they're saying. Just, yeah, yeah. That that level of um, commitment, commitment to a cause, right, is really, yeah, you know, yeah. part impressive and part kind of crazy. But, uh, <laughs> exactly, you know, I admire it. Exactly, not for me though. Like it. I feel the same way about suicide bombers. Right. You know, it's like, you got it wow, now. that yeah, yeah. that is some or or, or um, Japanese kamikaze. Kamika- yeah. I yeah. mean, or anyone who goes into a war, I guess it's that, that level of commitment to a cause. Yeah, I'm willing to die. There's not right. many things I'd be willing to die for, though. I've got to tell I you. <laughs> You say them like I'm gonna go. No, really? <gasps> Shot gasp. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, uh, it's a very short. It's a short list, and it gets shorter every yeah. day because people piss me I off. Can't, <laughs> yeah, like I would, I would be willing to die to save my wife and children. Yes, good for you. Um, outside of that, yes. Mm, Everybody no, else can go fuck themselves. No. Yeah, no, I got you. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, <laughs> I got you. No, because, it, you know, I think about, okay, with me out of the picture, what happens to my wife and children? Right. I'm not my older boys who met Tom Cruise this week. Yes. Did you see that yes. story? Yes, <laughs> ab- bastards. I'm so jealous. Anyway, yes, that's pretty fucking cool. And it's a great story, like the full story, just quickly. Like my son Taylor is the world's biggest hustler. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he manages a team of, TikTok guys in Australia, right. and he, one of his guys, got an invite to the Mission Impossible premiere in Sydney, right? Ta- um, uh, through some I don't know PR company. Mm-hmm. Taylor managed to turn that into an invite for all six of his guys of and himself. Of course, um, made a few phone calls, got them all, and this is like you know one of the premier events yeah. for people in. I Sydney. saw the tag he was that- wearing, the lanyard. Yeah, there were. Th- Thousands and thousands and thousands of people is this thing. Not only that, so they're just like TikTokers, right? Yeah. They get they get there and they find out there's two red carpet areas. There's the big red carpet area for all the people that have been invited. Right. Then there's the smaller red carpet area Ooh. for journalists right. of major media companies that are going to interview Tom and get their couple of minutes with Tom as he's walking in and the other car, Simon Pegg, et cetera. Yeah. Taylor Taylor manages he figures out how to get all of his guys into that line. Oh, of they they have to walk through security who are trying to stop him and he's just like talking his way through security. Right. No no no, no. you don't yeah. you don't understand who I yeah. between my six guys we have 40 million viewers. We are you, bigger you want than us. every media organization in this country. Yes. Yeah, like we should have been there yeah, in the first, first place, right? Exactly. You know, exactly. we're the most important people in the fight. Fuck Tom Cruise. We're the most important <laughs> people. He should be interviewing us. Um, so he just talks his way into this thing. And, yeah, then they all get – and then – they're standing in line finally. Tom's making his way up the line and he's spending a couple of minutes with each journalist. Right. And then some PR hack comes past and says, 
look, there's no time. Uh, we've run out of time. The movie's going to start. Right. Tom doesn't have any more time. So Tom just walks past a whole bunch of people. This PR hack's like, no time, no time, no time. Yeah. Tom, he gets up to Tay. Tay goes, hey, Tom, I want to take a photo with you. And Tom's like, yeah, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. So <laughs> Taylor gets him. And, oh, and all of his guys to, right. to get their photo taken with Tom. He also got one with Simon Pegg, which he said was, for him, more exciting. Yeah, I love big Simon. Big fan of the Cornetto trilogy, Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, just a fucking, uh, <laughs> he's a hustler. Tell me, we're not, hustler. tell me we're not in the middle of, I don't even know what to call it, a technological media revolution or, or, or whatever the, the, the planets are being realigned by things like TikTok and people like your yeah. son who are just literally turning what we know and accept and think is it on its head. I mean, it, I, yeah. I love stuff like this. I think, and I saw the picture. I was yeah. like, that is freaking cool. Yeah. Anywho, um, back to yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, geeking out. So they basically the the, the Rosenbergs basically said to the government, "Listen, yeah. the fact that you're offering us a deal exactly. proves that." What we did really wasn't that important. Yeah, and you're not sure. And secondly, yeah. go fuck yourself. <laughs> now, so in March of 1953, three months before the Rosenbergs were due to be executed, mm-hmm. David Greenglass, who was sentenced to 15 years in prison, right? Um, although his lawyer, <laughs> his attorney, O. John Rogie, told the court that his client deserved a pat on the back for his testimony and for handing over his sister. Right. And he deserved a light sentence no more than five years so others mm. would follow his example, yeah. not the giving of atomic information <laughs> bit, but the Turning throwing over. other people under the bus yeah. bit. Um, he got 15 that. years but right. was released after nine and a half years. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. he wrote a letter uh, in March of 1953 to President Eisenhower, mm-hmm. asking for their sentences to be commuted to prison terms so they'd have an opportunity to confess. Right. That makes sense. He wrote, if these two die, I shall live the rest of my life with a very dark shadow on my conscience. Right. He said his own testimony was an act of contrition for the wrong I have done my country, my family, and myself, and explained how he viewed the consequences. He said, here I had to take the choice of hurting someone dear to me and I took it deliberately. I could not believe that this would be the outcome. May right. God in his mercy change that awful sense. Yeah. Um, if, yeah. If I could real quick, you mentioned David Greenglass got 15 years but didn't serve all 15. Sobel got 30 years but only served 18 years. So, again, people are being given sentences. They're not even finishing these sentences. What What is the... What's the mystery? What are we missing? Why are these this married couple being executed? I think it's because Truman and Eisenhower and, and the judge Kaufman says this when he's when he's justifying his the death penalty for them is like he said a lot of things. But one of the things he said was, if, if we don't do this, we're going to look weak and we can't we can't look weak in front of the Russians because it's literally a life or death situation for us. It wasn't, but that's what the Americans are being told. And I think Roy Cohen uh, was in on that as well. He said something like, yeah, you have to do this. And if you don't execute her because she's a woman, aren't the communists just going to train a bunch of women spies to come over here? You can't take that chance. So this thing is rigged from the beginning. Yeah, and I, I think... I think partly the reason that they got the death penalty was they were just so stoic 
and refusing to play ball. Like they're like above. The government. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that really uh, incensed the right. Kaufman and the government, the fact that yeah. they would threaten these people with execution and they were like, you know what, our beliefs are more. Right. You know, they kind of remind me of the, you know, in our Renaissance show, the early days we were talking about the um, oppression of the Christians supposedly mm-hmm. um, in the first couple of hundred years uh, of Christianity by the Romans. Right. And, you know, we, we told these stories where the um, emperor would say, listen, we everyone needs to make a sacrifice. So we, we've got this famine going on or this war going on. Everyone right. needs to sacrifice to Mars or somebody. Appease the And gods. the Christians, yeah, the Christians, we're talking like circa, you know, late 200s, 300 CE. Right. Christians would refuse Fuck you. to participate in the sacrifices for yeah. the, because of their beliefs. Right. And they'd get arrested or brought in in front of a governor and a governor would say, listen, <laughs> just I'm going to burn a piece of meat here. It's tasty. It's barbecue. It's beautiful. We marinated it's, it. It's Korean barbecue. Yeah. Who yeah, doesn't love great. Korean barbecue? Go ahead. Just eat the fucking meat. Like, yeah, I just need away. to witness you eating yeah. the meat. I don't yeah. care what you believe. I don't care. Just eat the meat and we can all sleep well tonight. <laughs> um, I've done my job. You've done your job as a Roman citizen. Right. Don't be a just, martyr for the cause. And they were like, no, no, no. no. You don't get it. We I want to be a martyr yes, for yes. That's it. That's the quickest way to make sure I end up in heaven right. is to be a martyr for the cause, right? Right. And and you know, and and the and the Romans couldn't get their head around it. They're like, "What the fuck is wrong with you people? Just play along, right?" And they refuse to do it. I, I see this as similar. Like right. they just refused to play the U.S. government's game, and yeah. I think that's terrifying. Like that level of commitment to a cause. Yes. Particularly when, okay, so, you know, uh, keeping in mind everything that we've learned doing this show over the last seven years, that socialism and and communism Mm -hmm. were perceived by the American elite and the the American uh, Christian leaders, the business leaders and the the religious leaders, Mm -hmm. as a direct existential threat. Yes. If communism was successful... In the United States, if people, if more and more people started to adopt the ideas of socialism and communism and wanted right. to see it applied in America, mm-hmm. uh, i.e., a more equitable distribution of capital and wealth around the country, yeah. um, making things more fair, more balanced, more even, um, that was a threat to the rich and the people in government that the rich supported, and to the religious leaders because the socialists were. Atheists, right. they exactly. promoted atheism. Yes. So it was imperative that they shut this people down and they terrified anyone else mm-hmm. thinking of advocating socialism and communism. And to have the Rosenbergs just be that kind of steadfast yes. and say, you know what? No, you can do whatever yeah. you want. We believe in our cause and we're not going to throw anyone under the bus. Right. You know, that was... I think How do partly do, um, yeah, terrifying. Yes, because that if that's the extremism that we're up against, we these people do need to die because we can't have this. They cannot be heroes. They might be martyrs, but they can't be heroes. We have to get rid of these people. I mean, that that is scary. How am I going to develop my generational wealth if you won't let me rip you off year after year? This is important to me. Yeah. So um, 
Their lawyer, Manny Block, died three years later of a heart attack in his Manhattan apartment. He was only 52. Right. Shit. Uh, Maybe somewhat suspicious uh, heart attack at that age. In his uh, obit in Time magazine, they wrote, Emmanuel Hirsch Block, 52, longtime attorney for communist causes, who defended atom spies, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, Later said in a speech at their funeral, I placed the murder of the Rosenbergs at the door of President Eisenhower, Mr. Brownell and J. Edgar Hoover. Right. Yeah. Because mm. Eisenhower had the same problem Truman did, even though um, Eisenhower was a military man, all that good stuff. But he's still trying to sell the idea of America. Uh, we are the best, and but there are there are elements uh, that can go against what it means to be an American. And one of the worst things you could possibly do to this great country and to its great people is betray us, is to spy, is to give our secrets to the enemy. So it's almost like for these two Cold, um, Cold War warriors, there's nothing worse than betraying your country, and you, you whether they sincere whether they were sincere or not. Uh, Ike is going to toe the line that Truman sets because he has the same problem and he has the same goals. He wants everybody to think that America is the best and the communists need to fear our dedication and determination to wipe them out. So he was boxed in by Truman's actions. Yeah, but also I think he was... uh, A believer? uh, A believer, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's a Republican. He obviously fought in World War II, but he, he was a, you know... He was a yeah. true believer that um, the communists were evil. And he was religious. He did find religion. Remember, we talked about that previously. It was around this time he's finding religion. And, yeah, he probably mm. – he was drinking the Kool-Aid, and he liked it. And, of course, uh, he was also one of the guys who prominently warned us about the military-industrial <laughs> complex in the United States, both with his first speech as president and his last speech as president. Exactly. We have to be careful of the military-industrial complex. Thank no God. one listened. Thank God we ignored that. Mr. Brownell, by the way, that yeah. uh, Block mentioned, uh, yeah. was the was Eisenhower's uh, attorney general, mm. Herbert Brownell. Gotcha. Because they had the power to commute their sentences um, and didn't. Right. Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter, mm-hmm. um, also um, best known for being a transvestite in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, once contended that the Rosenbergs were actually tried for conspiracy but sentenced for treason. Wow. I like that. That's how hype mm. the trial was. If you were to ask anybody who was alive or maybe maybe they're in their 80s or whatever, oh, yeah, no, 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 yeah, they committed treason. No, they didn't commit treason. That's what, that's what gets imprinted on the American psyche. Uh, and it even goes into well, our history books, I think. Into the history books and years later, even the jurors oh, believed right. that they were found guilty of treason. They weren't yes. found guilty of treason. They were found guilty of conspiracy. Well, it did take him eight hours, so they, they didn't really care. They said, yeah, let's get some, some sandwiches, and then we'll go back and tell the judge, yeah, they're, we're, they're guilty. That's mm-hmm. incredible. Um, judge Kaufman, when he was uh, being attacked in some quarters for right. the sentencing, said that he had prayed for guidance at his synagogue the Aww. night before sentencing the Rosenbergs. Right. And um, Judge Frank, uh, Justice Frankenfurter... <laughs> 
didn't like this. He said that a judge who feels God told him to impose a death sentence was what he termed unjudicial conduct. Yes. We have the rule of law and we have the rule of God. Keep those two separate. But God told him to kill these two. So he did. Yeah. Apparently, uh, before the trial began, when the judge was already deciding that he was going to sentence Julius to death, regardless of what happened, right? he was uncertain about whether or not he should sentence Ethel to death. He apparently went to a phone booth next to his synagogue in Park Avenue and called up Roy Cohen. (laughs) Roy Cohen, later recalling this conversation, said that, he insisted that Ethel was even worse than Julius because yes. she was older than him and was the one with the brains. She was the mastermind yes. behind the whole conspiracy, he said. Yeah. Let me just, can I just read the quote real quick because I think it's funny. Now, this is coming from Cohen's, Cohen's I guess, memory years later, but, it, but it's, he's talking to a judge. He's a 24-year-old assistant, whatever, and he's talking to a judge, and the judge is like, I don't know, what do you think I should do? You know, whatever. And he's like, look, she's the older one. She's the one with the brains. She recruited her younger brother into the Young Communist League and into the spy ring. She's the one who typed the atomic bomb documents. She engineered this whole thing. She was the mastermind of this conspiracy. So unless you're willing to say that a woman is immune from the death penalty, I don't see how you can justify sparing her. But hey, it's your baby, Judge. You decide. You decide. I, I'm just, I'm an advisor. I'm advising you. You you decide. But I think that was probably enough for the judge to go, yeah, okay, you're right. Thank you. Thank you for setting me straight. It's your baby. It's your baby. Yeah. According to him, that's what he said. Yeah, so the next day, the New York Daily News headline screamed, a spy, atomic spy, Mm -hmm. couple doomed to die. Oh. So there, yeah. Now, this decision to execute them was unpopular in some quarters in the United States and also around the world. In our first episode um, about the Rosenbergs, talked about on the night of their executions. Yeah. People were protesting all over the world. Yes. Uh, they were trying to get the Pope to intervene. Uh, they were trying to get uh, Churchill to intervene mm-hmm. in the UK. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of people around the world who felt that this was uh, way out of line. Yeah. And in order to try and convince the global community that it was important to execute the Rosenbergs, right? Truman turned to the newly created... Psychological Strategy Board, the PSB. Now, this was new to me, right? I'd never heard of the Psychological Strategy Board before, which surprises Mm -hmm. me because I thought I knew all of the dirt on PSYOPs run by the US. Right, You've never heard of them either? Nope, nope, not until I ran across this uh, going, yeah, for this, this is the first time I ever heard of them. Uh, so what's so and, and, no no I, I I glanced at a book but the point is psychological strategy board sounds impressive what are they up to the PSB was <clears throat> established uh, during the Korean War right as a way of sort of managing covert activities mm. and psychological warfare and propaganda right now. Uh, there's a long story, you know, there was a lot of debate between the State Department and the CIA and the Pentagon 
everyone wanted to do their own yeah. psyops um, during the Korean War. And yeah. there was a lot of fighting, a lot of debate. Truman ended up sort of having to get involved and he assigned a couple of guys and they set up this overarching entity, the Psychological wow. Strategy Board. Um, it was made up of representatives of the CIA, Joint Chiefs of Staff, Departments of State and the Department of Defence. Mm-hmm. And their basic job was to craft official American propaganda yeah. about its activities around the world and particularly, uh, yeah, I guess, like s- selling yes. um, America's decisions and actions to the world, even if that involved making shit up. It's classic psyops. Right. right? And exactly. you know, we've talked in our CIA series about how this was was and continues to be done today. That part of the strategy during the Cold War was to sell America as the shining city on the hill Damn to right. the people of the world, uh, regardless of the truth, <laughs> to hide the lies yes. and spin up the the yes. mythical version of America's role in the world. And uh, you got to. You got to tip the hat, like incredibly successful. Um, You know, it's somewhat amazing to me that what you can do with unlimited money and power. Right, I'd like to try that sometimes. How how successful that can be? Yeah. Um, So they they also jumped on creating a narrative for the Rosenbergs to sell to the world to right. try and convince the world that the punishment was justified. Well, I'm glad you said that because a lot of the shit that American government is getting, like you said, from all over the world, certainly Europe and Canada, and we don't have to go into that or maybe we'll do it later, but there's a lot of resistance. These people aren't saying that the Rosenbergs aren't guilty. They're saying, no, 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 we get that, but all these other people you didn't kill, why do these two, like you said, with two children, young children have to be killed? It's the death penalty part of it that is driving the rest of the world crazy. Are you the shining example on a hill or are you a dictator state? I mean, what the fuck is going on? Yes, you found them guilty, the rule of law, yada, yada, yada. Why the why the murder? Why the death penalty? And that's the part where the PSB is trying to say, no, they are deserving of it because they were so bad or so evil. That's where the rest of the world is going, fuck you. We don't buy your line. We don't believe it. Well, I think people were poking holes in the actual prosecution mm. as well. They were like, well, right. where is the evidence that yeah. Ethel was involved in the spying? Where yeah. is the evidence that anything that they passed on was of importance? Right. And so the, the the government needed to shut that shit down <laughs> and just <laughs> right over the top of it with this big bold narrative. Now, right. what is psychological warfare according to the PSB? Right. Psychological warfare is any non-military action mm-hmm. that influences public opinion or foreign policy interest. Right. And this includes such things as trade and economic aid, cultural and educational exchange, threats to use force, ah. and diplomacy. And it involved getting diplomats and politicians to use carefully crafted buzzwords right. to influence policies and decisions and international opinion around the world. Mm. And you know, I you know, this is the thing that I guess I have railed against 
for years. It's the yeah. It's the uh, American propaganda that I rail against. It's it's trying to poke holes in the propaganda and expose the truth. What's yeah. really going on? Yeah. And as an as a non-American, as somebody sitting on the outside, I have just found the American propaganda in the last 30 years to be um over the top and oppressive. Yes. And and blatant, very blatant but propaganda. Slick. But slick. Yeah. It's very slick and yeah. very successful. Yes, thank you. And so not just Americans buy into it. Like I think a lot of people oh, around the world yeah, buy into it. Global consumption. Less yeah. Less now than we did, say, in the eighties. Yeah. I think because of the internet and uh, mm. different books that have come out, different documentaries that have come out, yeah. Michael Moore's stuff, um, the work of Julian Assange, the work of Edward Snowden, etc., and the work of um, Daniel Ellsberg. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people, uh, various podcasters and, and, mm-hmm. and bloggers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, all these guys, uh, Seymour Hirsch. Like, there's there's you know, I think uh, enough holes have been poked in it over the last 30-odd years that yeah. more and more people are starting to be more sceptical. As I often say, I remember during the um, Gulf War One mm-hmm. in the early 90s, um, friends of mine at the time who were Middle Eastern but living in Melbourne right. were telling me, I was like 21, right? Right. Um, very wet behind the ears, just starting to think about mm-hmm. geopolitics and history. They were telling me that it was all over oil in the Middle East, that the reason the Americans were involved, it was all about getting control of oil in the Middle East mm-hmm. and that Iraq's whole, you know, uh, quote-unquote invasion of Kuwait was about oil um, because Kuwait was tapping into Iraq's oil. Iraq was trying to stop them from tapping into the oil. The yeah. U.S. wanted to control oil. Now, I I didn't know if that was right or wrong at the time, but I remember talking to people about it and mm-hmm. having people shut it down. What are you talking about? That was like the idea that America would be involved in a war in the Middle East Some, over the control common. of oil yeah. was considered conspiracy, crazy conspiracy theory in the early right. days. Right. By the time the Iraq war happened 20-odd years later, that was sort of the common mainstream narrative. And yeah. you said, well, this is about oil. Everyone oil. was like, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. it's about oil. When so it's a big jokes. shift in public perception. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was that accepted. as a, Yeah. Yeah. Narrative. By the way, I think John Stewart and The Daily Show has had a lot to do with uh, exposing these sorts of narratives as well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so this is the PSB. Uh, it was set up to shape the way the world thinked about, thought about America and American policies. Right. Um, you know, the and of course they're not the only ones doing this. The Soviet Union was doing their own propaganda campaign, trying mm-hmm. to paint the US as uh, corrupt big businesses, uh, trying to dominate the world, yeah. uh, portraying themselves as the champions of the people to overthrow the evil capitalists in the US. Sounds right. And, of course, there's a lot of truth to all of that. Um Yes. Not going to lie, it's actually <laughs> what was going on. But the US adopted the same sort of strategy, but, um, yeah. you know, obviously painting themselves as the heroes. Right. And, and the, uh, victim the Soviets as the, the bad same. guy. 
Yeah. It's, it's amazing how we can be the hero and the victim at the same time. But it's a fine line that I think we balance quite well. Now, radio played a huge role in psychological warfare. Mm. Programs were broadcast to countries behind the, the Iron Curtain. Um, the USSR found it difficult to block oh. radio waves. And we know from you know Radio Free America, we've done shows about this before. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you would you could set up a broadcast uh, station just across the border right. and broadcast into these countries. Yes, from trying to uh, you know spread your propaganda to right. people inside of the countries, and in in many cases trying to um, encourage the people to. Uh, overthrow their own government or cause problems, uh, spy on their own country. Exactly. Eventually, the PSB was dissolved in 1953 by the Eisenhower administration, but its um, operations were transferred to the Operations Coordinating Board, the OCB. Right. I thought you were going to say they didn't do PSYOPs anymore. That's, That's kind of what I was hoping you'd say. Yeah, well, they didn't. Good news, people. The <laughs> secret psychological strategy board, which we don't, you don't even know exists. <laughs> so what are we going to do with these millions of dollars now? Oh, let's just keep doing it. It's fine. Keep doing it. Yeah. They were transferred to the OCB. The OCB was abolished by Kennedy in 1961. Right. But, Ooh. you know, today... The psyops is still a very large part, obviously, of oh, yeah. what the U.S. government does, uh, and, and every other country tries to do it at different levels too. I'm sure Russia and China and the U.K. and all the major powers do it. Yeah. In the U.S. today, it's psyops are mainly conducted by three branches of the U.S. government: the DoD, Department of Defense, mm-hmm. CIA, obviously, and the United States Agency for Global Media. Oh, that sounds nice. That sounds yeah helpful. The US, the US AGM, <laughs> very friendly, <laughs> friendly organization. They hand out suckers when you first walk in the door. I think. Yeah, yeah. It used to be known as the Broadcasting Board of Governors, yeah. the BBG. That's boring. Yeah, no. As opposed to the BBC, I like um, right. changed its name in two thousand and eighteen. The USAGM are the people that do vo- the run Voice of America and the Office of Cuba Broadcasting. Right. No uh, no hint on <laughs> what, where that's focused. <laughs> as well as Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, Radio Free Asia, Middle East Broadcasting Network, and the Open Technology Fund. So, yeah. We want everybody to be free. To buy our products. And buy our propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, it's, yeah, it's, so a, it's its own world now. I mean, this stuff is so complicated and convoluted and ubiquitous. It is everywhere. And like you said, everybody does it. We just do it more because we have more money. Yeah. So um, this, you know, they're... they're they don't call it psyops. Uh, the CIA calls it covert influence or covert action, but Ooh. it's basically psychological warfare they do around the world. Right now, um, there's been some interesting studies done on this, uh, which I'll get into in a second. But of course, 
by law, US agencies aren't allowed to use PSYOPs on American citizens. Mm-hmm. Thank but God. It, <laughs> but... It's not that hard to do in this day and age. So you just fill the foreign press and foreign social media accounts with all of your propaganda. And then then American media can just quote the foreign media. Well, according to the BBC or according to... Yeah, you know, Telemundo. Israel, Jer- Jer- Jerusalem today, or according to whatever, we are the greatest know, the, thing the, in the world. The age in Australia, yeah, yeah. You you then just quote the foreign media, so you fill the foreign media and social media accounts. Like, right. you know, you can have you can be running cut out social media accounts from all over the world, and then they're feeding directly into the US, and it's like, wow, well, it's, it's not us. It's Clever. like, oh, yeah, yeah. We had nothing to do with it's it. It's not us doing it. It's New people over there. Paid by people, paid by people, <laughs> paid by people, paid by people, paid by people that we secretly funnel money to. Like we so put see, it out on the bullshit filter last week. Like um a chunk of the funding mm-hmm. that has been passed for Ukraine support right. is actually going to CIA and covert operations. And part of that is going to U.S. propaganda around the world to say things like the <laughs> the Russian in quote unquote invasion of Ukraine was uh, not justified, right? Um, yeah, unprovoked. Exactly. Use the word. You get paid. You get paid uh, fifty thousand dollars every time you use the word unprovoked oh. in an article. Or um, freedom loving peoples. Uh, either one will yeah. get you a check. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not allowed to you're not allowed to use psyops on your own people, but it ain't that hard to do. <laughs> Particularly seeing as no one back home is really investigating it. But yes. yeah. Th- yeah. Oh my god. The you manipulate the rest of the world and it feeds back into the US and right. you all are sucking on your own exhaust pipe. Um so some studies. Uh in 1974, a German political scientist, Elizabeth Noel Neumann. Mm-hmm examined research into how individuals will often conform to majority opinion in order to feel accepted. Oh, that social need. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. She argued that there's a fear of isolation that people have so if they don't fit in. Right. So we inherently desire, we're social creatures, Mm -hmm. evolution has made us want to fit into the tribe, because if you don't fit into the tribe, you get kicked out of the tribe and then you die. Yes. So we, we want to be part of the tribe. We want to be accepted by the tribe. And so we will fit in. So, for example, if you, uh, I'm just purely theoretically, uh, if you were to jump on Facebook right. and say something like Russia uh, escalated the war in Ukraine because of uh, the the existential threat that NATO bases in Ukraine is to Russia, mm-hmm. plus the um, uh, failure of the Minsk, Minsk agreements uh, right. in the Donetsk region and how they weren't being taken seriously and the treatment of Russian-speaking peoples by the Ukrainians in the Donetsk regions, um, you will get abused and shouted down right. constantly by... 
people. Yes. Yeah, and reported, possibly blocked by social media for mm-hmm. saying things that are unpopular. Right. And you, you just get lambasted as being a Kremlin puppet, uh, a useful idiot to the Kremlin for parroting uh, Putin's propaganda, yes. et cetera, et cetera. You will get vehemently attacked sure. across the board. And that's powerful. And so yeah. most people don't want to you know, be on the end of that. Some right. people, not what? naming any names. Love <laughs> it. Uh, love it. Love it. Love it. Can't get enough of it. Uh, <laughs> I'm loving every minute of it, Jerry. Oh, my God. Now, according to Noel Neumann, mm-hmm. um, so this is the reason why societal punishment Right. such as exile or expulsion from a group have been so important throughout history. Okay. Uh, now, she says it's the spiral of silence is what she called it. Ooh. So, yeah, people oh don't God. want to speak up. They don't want to talk because they don't want to get shot down mm-hmm. or criticised by their peers. They don't want to get excluded from the group. And so people just don't say anything. They yeah. just... Keep quiet. Stay quiet. Yeah. And even, like, in my own case, it just becomes time-consuming. You know, people start arguing with you. I feel compelled to argue back. Right. And then after a while you go, fuck, I'm spending my whole day just defending myself, defending my logic, defending my rationality on social media. I've got other things to do. You know what? Fuck it. I can't be bothered. Fuck that. She characterizes the two types of individuals who resist this um, silence. One, uh, what she calls hardcore. Right. You have to decide which one of these two I fit into, Ray. The hardcore are those who feel entirely alienated by society, no Mm -hmm. longer concerned with other people's opinions. Oh. They often indulge in a nostalgic imagined past. Mm. Or two, the avant-garde consists of reformers and activists eager to make their voices heard despite numerous challenges. These individuals are future-focused and can endure isolation because they believe they're ahead of their time. Oh, this is actually kind of easy. I thought it was going to be a challenge. No, uh, you, sir, are a hardcore hardcore avant-garde. Uh, it's quite obvious to me that uh, dis who you is, dis who you is. Uh, he loves it. Yeah. He loves it. Yeah. Can't get and enough of it. Don't yeah. gi- and don't, don't give a shit about don't people's give opinions. <laughs> that's, that's, his, that's his bulletproof. I don't give two shits about, yeah, yeah. Look, as I always say, mm-hmm. I'm happy to be proven wrong. Yeah. Just come to me with better facts or better right. interpretations of yes. the current facts. You are a seeker of truth. Doesn't matter how yeah. we get there. Just want to know what the real deal is. Just calling me names isn't going to get you very far. <laughs> and it's not going to win an argument. And it's not going to change my mind. I might try to hump your right. mom, but that's yeah. you're not going to win. And the fact that a lot of people like your your comment where you, you know, they hit like on it when you call me names doesn't influence me at all. I'm no. sorry. I don't, no. I I don't give a shit about years, them either. Years wasted my time. Where Noel Neumann says, those who belong to the avant-garde are committed to the future and thus by necessity are also isolated, but mm. their conviction that they are ahead of their time enables them to endure the chance to change or mold public opinion is reserved to those who are not afraid of being isolated. 
I think you could argue the Rosenbergs have just been summed up by this woman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, they were willing to accept the ultimate penalty yes. for speaking their truth. And yeah. uh, as we said, yeah. well, as we said in the earlier episodes, they, along with atomic scientists like David Greenglass and others, mm-hmm. believed that it was the best thing for the world right? for there to be uh, an, a balance in who held nuclear power, that it shouldn't all be in the hands yeah. of the United States. Yeah, power that corrupts. It, yeah. Well, yes, there, there should be a balance of nuclear power. Yeah. And, um, you know, they fervently believed in that and they were executed by the United States government as a result. I think that's the end of the Rosenberg story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You got more to stick in? Well, just real quick, as because it takes what two and a half or two and three fourths years between the judgment and the actual execution, the world is going to rise up. There are going to be tens of thousands of letters. There's going to be articles. I mean, the the Truman and then the Eisenhower. Um, uh, administration gets shellacked by the world's press. Yada, yada, yada. It doesn't change anything because they both stick to their guns and they kill these people. Here's the, here's what I took from it, from this very sad tale to make me feel better. So Judge Kaufman, 1951, has the trial, finds him guilty, uh, and the sentence is um, execution. The following summer in 1952, he's going to go to Paris for the summer. Why not? He's a judge. I'm sure he's got disposable income. He's going to go have fun. So the FBI finds out that he's going to go to, to Paris for the summer of 1952, and they go, yeah, judge, that might not be a good idea. You might not return with all the pieces that you currently have now. And for those of you who've seen new recent footage of uh, the streets of Paris, you know what they were talking about. So Judge Kaufman might have wanted this job and he got this job and he executed it and he probably felt like he was doing the right thing, but he certainly paid a price at least for a while. He was very unpopular, just like uh, Truman and Ike to some people uh, around the world. This guy was, for a while, had to tone it down because, again, the world was just in shock and disbelief about the American, or the White House, the judicial system, whatever the proper term is to go ahead and actually move forward and to execute this young couple with two younger kids. I've actually, I forgot about this. I've actually got a recording of one of the phone calls from okay. Judge Kaufman to Roy Cohen. Thank Christ. Um, before the trial started, right. when he was talking about Julius and Ethel, um, I'll just right. play a little bit of it Please. here. I want this person dead. <laughs> I want their family dead. I want their dog dead. So what you're saying is, <laughs> what you're saying is, I have what it takes to be a judge. Uh, I thank you, sir. I thank you. Roy Cohn said, "Do you think you're ready for this?" He said, "Oh my beer! <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. That's a power play, babe." <laughs> he was right. He was right. Yeah. He also talking about Julius Rosenberg. He went to visit him in prison and said, "It was a good kiss, sir." By the way. <laughs> Julius Rosenberg said, "How am I going to talk my way out of dying today?" <laughs> when when Kaufman was going to Europe, they said, "You're a complete monster, and I hope hell is real, and I hope you're there." 
damn judge. I mean, he's pissing people off. Uh, I've got a clip of him talking about Ethel Rosenberg. Some women, I guess, are so evil that they deserve, they deserve to be strangled to death and thrown down the stairs. And she's a oh. whore. <laughs> There's a lot of life lessons in this in these shows that we do. Not a good look. <laughs> yeah. All right. That is the show. We'll be Thank back God. next time with uh, some, some a different topic. I think something. Yeah. You got to come up with something. Yeah. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.